0: Welcome to the Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Helena Knappik, and this podcast aims to give mentoring and career advice to women in the Australian public service and beyond. In my discussion today with Susan Middleditch, we'll be talking about her career, taking opportunities, resilience and overcoming imposter syndrome. I hope you enjoy this episode with Susan Middleditch as much as I enjoyed recording it. So Susan Middlevitch, welcome. Thank you so much for recording with me today. Thanks, Elena. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's really lovely to have you here. Obviously, um, you know, you're you've had a big impact on my life. I oh, first, thank you. Thank, yeah, no, thank you. I mean, you've um, the first time we met was uh, last year at the Empowering Women for the Future Summit, and that obviously cascaded quite a lot of things for me in my life, particularly mm-hmm. the Empowering um, Empowered Women's Network at my organisation, and now obviously this podcast. Um, so it's great to have you on here. I suppose one of the first things that we can kind of um, get started in talking about is your career, um, maybe even like what you studied at university and, and how you sort of made the decisions to get into, the, um, into your profession.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, uh, yes, well, I studied a Bachelor of Business majoring in accounting um, at uni. It seems a long time ago now. Uh, and I guess how I got into that is that, you know, my parents were both teachers. Um, one was a math teacher my dad was a maths teacher, mum was a business teacher, so I sort of, I guess, had a, a maths background. I was good at numbers. Um, I knew I didn't want to be a teacher because mm-hmm. what they went through every day was just horrific. Um, and so I suppose I just fell into something that was a bit mathematics, but also, you know, a bit business focused. And, and I guess from you know even very early on, it was always going to be accounting. And is that just because um, numbers make sense to you? Or? Yeah, yeah, numbers make sense and you can get them to do really whatever you want them to do. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about creative accountants
0: and it's actually quite true. You can <laughs> actually be quite creative with numbers. Yeah, right. Yes. Absolutely. And so how did that – what was your next step after university? So you studied accounting mm-hmm. um, and did you go into a graduate program or did you um, just go straight into the workforce? What was your next step? Yeah, I did go into a graduate program. So um, uh, I –
1: Interviewed for a number of the large um, accounting firms. Um, I also interviewed with the Commonwealth Public Service um, with the Australian National Audit Office. They had a grad, most of them had grad programs back then, but they had a a very good two-year grad program um, and decided that, yes, I'd move to Canberra and join the public service and do their grad program. Three-month rotations um, into different areas throughout um, the audit office. Uh, punctured with um, structured learning and development. So I think every three months we took, it was two weeks out um, of the three months to do structured learning. Uh, it was, a, it was, and I think still is, you know, a very you know, highly thought of grant program, so it was excellent. Um, but certainly those rotations um, were fascinating because, you know, really from an audit perspective, I got to see very early the whole realm of the public service pretty much. Um, you know, through those placements.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I went through a, a graduate program myself mm. as well. And even in terms of experiencing areas that I'd never really thought about, yeah, I have an economic background mm-hmm. and I did some work in enforcement and yeah. And that just obviously gives you like a more well-rounded approach to not only the public service but the particular work that you're doing as mm-hmm. well. So mm-hmm. I definitely found that very uh, beneficial to my career also. And so, what were there, what was after your graduate program? Did you stay on? Uh, where you were or did you move somewhere else? No, I
1: didn't stay on where I was because also through those two years, I actually realized I wasn't a very good auditor and I didn't (laughs) actually enjoy it. Um, And I think the reasons for that was that um, auditors auditors have to be very detailed and I'm actually not a very detailed person at all. (laughs) Um, So that was probably problem number one. And problem number two for me was I actually didn't like being the bad guy, so I was the external auditor. I had to go into these entities and they always saw you as the bad cop and you were there to give them bad news. Um, and that's not something I actually enjoyed. So I did, I did see out my grad program. Um, and one of the good things about that particular program was all the departmental chief finance officers knew you because, you know, you were in their organisations all the time, you were well-trained, And so that was the next stepping stone for most people that didn't want to be an auditor long term was to go into a department and join their finance teams, which is what I did.
0: Right. And I suppose with your degree, it's quite flexible in the sense that with accounting, you could be an auditor, you could work in finance. That's right. Yeah. So it wasn't Mm. as though you had to completely start all over again or or do any other further training to get into your Yep. And um, how was the finance department? Um, so I went into
1: uh, the department that looked after education and youth affairs and a whole heap of other things, probably changed its mm-hmm. name three or four times from the time that I was there. Um, and that finance team was, was great. You know, we were doing financial statements for the very
0: first time. Um, There's a whole heap of different things that we were doing. And so would you, if you were looking back at the beginning of your career, would you sort of think that you took a traditional route or in terms of like obviously because you've stepped through the graduate program and worked your way through Mm -hmm. that way? I would describe it as as rather traditional. I mean the fact that, you know, even at
1: school I was doing courses or subjects that was going to lead me to an accounting degree. So it was quite traditional in that, you know, those subjects were subjects of choice. Yes, I went on to do the degree that I thought I was going to go on and finished the degree that I thought I was going to go on to do and, you know, that doesn't happen um, all the time and then, you know, went into that sort of stream. So, yes, it has been a bit of a
0: traditional... I suppose I had the opposite in the sense that I started off with um, politics and arts and history and then I picked up economics because it was just a different way to explain the world but also how to explain... Uh, behaviours and, and, you know, behaviours of people as well. So um, I suppose I have the opposite, but it's really interesting to hear people who sort of knew what they wanted to do early on, follow their path, yeah. and that's where you sort of found yourself. I think times are different. Yeah, you know, when I did my degree, it wasn't as easy to change as what it is now. So times are different as well. And so um, what were the next steps after... Um, so just to get like a little bit more of an idea as to your career, I think you've yeah. also had some time overseas. So you've been yeah. you've worked in New Zealand as well, is that correct? Yeah. So I've
1: worked in I've I've now worked in the Commonwealth Public Service, New Zealand Public Service, Queensland, and Victoria. So I've pretty much you know, apart from local government, uh, I certainly have done the other tiers. Yes, I spent some time in New Zealand. Um, I spent time in New Zealand uh, in their Treasury. Ministry as part of their commercial entities portfolio. Um, And it was interesting because they hired me in there because I actually had a true finance and business background, not an economist's background, which is the normal um, background that you have in a department of of, um, treasury and finance. So I went in there to work with um, New Zealand government state owned enterprises in doing some strategic business growth work with them and just to bring a different view to, again, Australia economic. Um, so it was fascinating. Yeah,
0: loved it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it seems like it's um, it, it's a quite different to the sort of work that you were doing yeah. in, in Australia as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Very
1: difficult because uh, – very different um, and in times, you know, difficult because we were trying to grow those – um, New Zealand owned entities into commercial, into more commercial activities. So you've got that, I guess, challenge and balance between you know, government ownership and true commercial.
0: Um, so yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah, and I can imagine that with that sort of a role, you'd be learning quite a lot on the job as well. Yeah. So yes, it's a bit of a financial, like you said, like they needed someone financial in the background, but also you would need to be li- liaising with a lot of people, like doing a lot of stakeholder work. Yeah. And and far more strategy. So, mm-hmm. for example, one of the projects I
1: worked with um, New Zealand Post, um, and of course, you know, New, we all know that traditional postal services are decreasing and have been decreasing for the last, you know, probably ten or fifteen years. They had sought they'd already seen that, so New Zealand Post were looking at getting into um, you know additional services, and they decided they'd get into banking services. Now, I think it's the first. non-bank in the world to get into banking services Um, so part of my role was to help them do the strategy around how they get into small business banking and where those customers come from um, the comms around it the planning around it the finances around it so you know very much more strategy than just true finance.
0: In terms of the earlier stages of your career I'm just trying to think of um, some of the women who might be listening who might be in the earlier parts of their career. Mm-hmm. Were there any sort of challenges that you, you faced particularly? I mean, I know sometimes I've faced things that maybe later on didn't seem like they were a big deal. I was just um, not quite sure how to make certain decisions earlier on in my career. Were there any sort of challenges that you faced earlier on in your career? Well, look, I think
1: there's, I think there's always um, a challenge about whether and when the next step is the right step to make. Um, and yeah, particularly early on in the career, because you've got to balance up the, you know, do I stay at the organisation and get more experience or do I go somewhere else and get different experience? Now, I guess I was lucky when I was at the audit office because I got the chance to have different experiences within the same organisation. Um, and certainly in the public sector, you can do that a little bit as well with less risk than in the private sector. Um but I think that is one of the challenges for you know, any body, particularly young women in the career, is just to balance
0: that are out and trying to make the decision about when is the right time. I suppose um, one of the one of the topics that you were talking about at the summit so recently there was a um, empowering women for the future summit and you were discussing taking opportunities. Mm. So I suppose like with this, you're, you're looking at a balance between when is the right time to take an opportunity mm. and also not letting one pass you by. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I do agree. I do absolutely believe that. And um, as you said, I spoke about that at length about taking opportunities. Um, And I guess there's a couple of things, you know, I could suggest with that, which is um, when it comes to taking opportunities, normally an opportunity opens itself up because somebody's approached you about an opportunity. So the first thing I'd say is that somebody approaches you and says to you, you'd be really good at doing something, then you probably would be really good at doing something. And so that should be a a trigger to really seriously think about taking that opportunity. Um, People don't say that to you unless they mean it. Um, And so I I sort of go, well, if they really mean it, then I should probably believe it. Um, Whereas I think as women, our first response is, oh, no, no, no you know, that's really nice of you to say that, but I couldn't possibly. Well, you know, what I'm saying is, well, yes, possibly you could rather than I couldn't
0: possibly. And I suppose that kind of speaks to um, imposter syndrome, which I think some women have as well, where you sort of think like that your experiences and your value is, you know, like, oh, it's not me. It was like all of these other factors, Mm -hmm. but you're saying that, if somebody is approaching you, somebody who is obviously senior, higher up, they've recognised these skills in you, then you should too recognise those skills Absolutely. and take those opportunities yeah. as they as present to you. Absolutely.
1: When I was in the, my you know, first department that was speaking about well, before, my chief, my chief finance officer was going off to do something else and he approached me to do his role. Um, I think I was 25. Like There was no, no way that I thought I was ready for a CFO role and presented him with a whole heap of people that I thought would do the job better than me because there was lots more people that were far more senior than me in that department. Um, but he didn't take any of that <laughs> to account. And and um, all of a sudden I found myself, you know, being the CFO of a really large department at a very young age. Um, and that's just the, I guess that's what I've reflected on, you know, in the later years, which is, you know, he was the one that approached me and went, you'd be really good at doing this. And I'm going, no, no, I wouldn't.
0: <laughs> There's a of people that would be. Yeah. yeah. And I suppose that, that also speaks to having people who are, um, who are willing to a, be your role models and also just push you forward, tap you on the shoulder, push you forward and, and show you what opportunities might be available, available to you that you haven't necessarily thought about. In terms of fostering those types of relationships mm-hmm. with people that you work with, what is one of the best ways that you could foster that relationship, or or show your best skills in the workplace?
1: I don't think anybody actually takes up a job and works in a workplace to not show their best skills. So let's just assume that everybody's yes. you know doing their job, doing it wonderfully well, and doing it to the best of their ability. People will notice that to start with. You know, your supervisor, etc., will notice that. Um, hopefully, you know, most organisations also have some sort of formal performance and development planning framework and that also gives you opportunities to have those conversations um, with your supervisor. And I must admit, um, one of the questions I actually ask all of my direct reports is, well, what's your next job going to be? Um, because, you know, I'm you know, I'm here to facilitate that next job for them. I'm certainly not expecting them to spend their whole entire rest of their career doing exactly what they do now. Uh, And so that opens up the conversation about, you know, what other experience do you need? What other skills do you need to pick up? What other development um, do you need, whether that's formal or informal? So, you know, you could well turn that conversation around and say to your supervisor, well, you know, what else should I be focusing on? How could you prepare for that? Yeah, I think it is about having a think about what um, next you'd like to do, or even, you know, um, having a think about what you might want to do long-term, where you want your career to end up. Um, I say that maybe because, you know, a lot of people don't want to do that or can't do that. And I'm one of those people. I've never had a long-term goal to where I've I've ended up. It's just sort of happened that way. Um, So I don't think you need a five- or ten-year plan, but, you know, I think you should be definitely thinking about what that next role might be. It might be, um, you know, uh, a... different role in the same organisation. It could be the same role in a different organisation just to get um, more context or a different industry. Um, It could be something totally different where you want to increase your skill set that you may not have. Um, It could be doing a supervisor's role during periods of leave and trying to get some early managerial
0: or leadership experience. It could be a whole heap of different things. Um, That sort of brings me to my next question. I'm very interested in this idea of um, people's individual definitions of success. Uh So some people might find success to be um, reaching a particular level in their workplace or finding work-life balance, if there is such a thing, (laughs) Um, or, you know, having time off to spend with their family. Um, What is your personal definition of success? Uh,
1: That's an interesting question, Helena. I don't
0: know whether I have one. But just
1: reflecting on that, I think that
0: probably – One of
1: my definitions of success, and now that I'm in a leadership role, is something that somebody said to me a number of years ago when actually we were doing some leadership development training with one of my teams. Um, And this person who, you know, would I see as a mentor and so I very much um, uh, accept and respect his thoughts. At the end of this workshop that he was doing for us, he sort of turned around and said, you know, from a leadership perspective... Um, we need to look in the mirror every day and we get to choose about how you bring yourself to work and the type of leader that you want to be. So he sort of said to us, look, you know, maybe tomorrow morning, you know, get in front of the mirror and decide what type of leader you're going to be and decide that you're going to be the type of leader that you'd like your children to work for. And so I think my definition of success now is to be that type of person in in the workplace and be that type of leader. That um,
0: I'd be happy for my four children, you know, to work for. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that you are successful? I might might have to. Ask the team <laughs> I'm sure they would um, say yes. I, I, <laughs> I, I, think, I think
1: most days yeah. I am successful at doing
0: that. So you have been organising the Empowering Women for the Future Summit for the successfully for the last yeah. couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, how did the idea for the summit come about? So the idea for the summit actually came from when I was in Queensland. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: So in 2015, I was in a senior role for the Department of Health, so Queensland Health, and um, I was, I think, one of two senior executives in that organisation. Now, health has 70% of its staff are female, and when you get to the executive levels, there were two of us. So that was... It was only three years ago, so that was that was pretty bad. And I also saw throughout the organisation that there weren't very many development opportunities um, for our female staff as well. So it actually came an idea from that, which was, well, maybe we could do some development um, for the women um, in health. Um, and so it's been running successfully since then. So when I came to Victoria, I went, "Oh well, let's do it again. Let's
0: just <laughs> so see, how see how it goes in Victoria." Goes
1: in Victoria, Absolutely. Hmm.
0: And um, did you find it um, that a lot of people were quite receptive to putting on this sort of summit? Because you did get quite a few women from, from various areas of you know industry and government to come and participate.
1: Yeah. Look, I think the timing in Victoria was absolutely ideal. Um, you know, uh, Chris Eccles, um, DPC's secretary, had just joined the Male Champions of Change Victoria, t- Victoria Group. It was very new. Um, So he had a real focus on gender equity across the BPS. Um, DPC had also just prepared a gender equality statement for Victoria as a whole. So um, the timing was good for me because it linked into all of that. Um, And there's also just so much still more evidence that women are not progressing in their careers as easily um as men do and so therefore you know any opportunity to help uh women do that or get the skills to do that um you know certainly dpc was very supportive of
0: absolutely and i can obviously vouch for the for the summer, saying that it was it didn't inspire a lot for myself personally but also even my colleagues bringing it back to our organization um, it definitely gave a lot to us as well so Thank very you. appreciative of that so can we expect to see more of the summit in the future? Is well, it coming I, back? So. I, don't, I suspect
1: now that yeah. um, it won't go away. It's just about how do you make it bigger and better for the years
0: to come? Yes. Yeah. I'm sure you'll manage it. <laughs> I'm sure it'll come out and it'll be bigger and better than ever. So I suppose um, one of the things that I quite appreciated about the summit was its ability to give visibility to women who have already achieved yeah. quite a lot of success mm-hmm. throughout their career. How how important do you see visibility or role models for women within the workplace?
1: Look, I think it's absolutely critical, and I'd even go one step further and say the stories are actually the most powerful thing. We can see really successful women. We see them in the media. Um, We see them throughout whatever we're reading or watching. Um, But often we sit back and we go, well, I can't do that because they just are amazing. Um, So it's actually, yes, it's about visibility, but actually it's actually, for me, more importantly, the visibility of their personal story because actually when you bottle it all down, we're all challenged with the same sorts of things that we need to do every day Um, and it's about, you know, sharing how we can do that better Um, and that not everything that we do is going to be 100% perfect every time and that's
0: okay. And that definitely is okay. Yeah. Um. I I do recall um your most recent talk at the summit. One of the things that the um the presenter Nellie she said afterwards was that through your talk, like you showed quite a bit of vulnerability, and that vulnerability in itself is strength. And I suppose that's what you're sort of saying to bring those personal stories to the forefront and to be able to show people that things don't always go the way that you think that's that right. they will. Absolutely. And then you're still here. You're still Absolutely. standing. You're still yeah pushing yeah. forward. Yeah. yeah. Um, So I suppose that comes to my next question about resilience. So um, you've shown a lot of resilience throughout your career. Um, Can you speak to the importance of resilience within your career?
1: Look, I think think resilience is important regardless of where where you are in your life, whether it's career or whether it's home because, you know, we all have um, times that, you know, are really happy and then we all have times that are a bit more ordinary and that's when the resilience um, kicks in. Uh, And we use resilience now a lot and we, you know, talk about, oh, we need to be resilient, we need to be this and we need to be that. And for me, you know, resilience comes down to, you know, something fairly simple for me, which is to have, you know, the really supportive family and friends structure. So at the summit I talked about, you know, having that cheer squad and absolutely the cheer squad for me is um, the key to my resilience um, because I know that um, I can tap into it if I need to, but I also know that if I start to pull away too much because I'm stressed, that they're going to come and chase me and not let me pull away. So <laughs> They're going to pull you back in. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, or they're going to sit me down and go, Susan, you're being ridiculous, just, you know, slap me around and get on with it. <laughs> yeah. So that cheer squad that can be 100% um, truthful
0: with you all the way and you can cope with that. Absolutely. Yeah. And definitely nurture those relationships yeah, with people absolutely. around you. Mm. And I suppose even in terms of, you know, if you are thinking of difficult times throughout your career or in your personal life, they're usually just one element of the things that are happening in your life. And that doesn't necessarily define you, not even in that moment. You do have um, other good things that are going on around you. So just to sort of hold on and tap into those um,
1: yeah and that's right um yeah unfortunately the circumstance that i spoke about um at the summit that affected you know my career but also affected you know people in my family as well so that did affect home and work Mm -hmm. um and i think that you know again reflecting on that now that made it even more difficult because you know i couldn't separate myself because it was affecting both home and work
0: yeah
1: um so, yes, you're right. You've sort of got to try and grab on to the bits that are working well and hold on to them, but
0: it's sometimes more difficult to do uh, than others. Absolutely, yeah. given the situation. Yeah. Absolutely. So if we're going to, let's say, just back to general sort of career advice, mm. what is the best career advice that you have received? So there's probably
1: two pieces of really good career advice that I've received. Um one is, well, the first one is um, don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness, so get out there and, and do it. Now, I, I just I need to sort of just qualify that and go, you know, within a risk-based framework. Um, but really, yes, you know, um, within your career, the people that have appointed you into the, the role that you're in They've appointed you into the role because they know that you're the best person for the role and you're going to be damn good at it. Um, so go out there and you know take some of those liberties and and really do you know fly shine you know do what it is that you can do. Don't keep asking for can I do this? Can I do that? Um, if you step out of bounds, you'll soon know about it and you'll only just do be it okay once. with getting in trouble sometimes. It's <laughs> oh, not even getting in trouble. It's just you know most people aren't going to go and do something that's totally crazy so you know so yes ask ask um, for forgiveness if you need to you know I have to say I've never had to ask for forgiveness so that that's a good thing the second piece of advice that I had many years ago was always be yourself Um, and that piece of advice actually came from uh, me asking um, a mentor of mine for advice because I was going for a job interview I think at the time I sort of had three young kids at home um and I needed to know, you know, through the job interview what to say about me being you know, a parent with young kids, um, etc. And or oh, actually, my question was, how do I avoid having that conversation because I didn't want to let on that I was a parent with three young kids because I thought that would actually affect my you know successfulness at getting that role. What he said to me in the piece of advice was, don't shy away from the fact that, you're a parent with three kids because that brings a whole different skill set than what you would normally show in an interview, which is time management, you know, good attention to or reasonable attention to detail, given I don't have good attention to detail, (laughs) but reasonable attention to detail um, and an an ability to time manage that people don't usually have. Um, So, yes, it was the don't, don't hide from who you
0: truly are. And that's great advice to be giving somebody. Um, if you were, so final question, so if you were going to be giving advice to yourself, so if you were reflecting back over your career, if you're looking back at, you know, in the early days, what sort of advice would you be giving yourself?
1: I think the one piece of advice that I would give to myself, Helena, would be to learn how to public speak earlier. Right, okay. I, um, I'm naturally very introverted, so public speaking was not something that came to me very comfortably and still doesn't really sit dreadfully comfortably with me. Um, but as I grew through my career and you know got to lead larger and larger teams, I needed to be able to speak in public. You know, people want to hear what you have to say. Um, so yes, if I was going to change it, if anything, it would have been to learn how to public speak earlier.
0: Good piece of advice. Thank you so much, Susan. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. You're welcome. Since releasing my first podcast episode, I have received some great feedback, both positive and very constructive as well. I'm going to try and work those constructive elements of feedback back into the podcast, namely trying to focus on the earlier parts of my um, interviewees' careers. So the skills, the advice, the things they did, even trying to work in a little bit of their day-to-day Sometimes women can be working across such a various field, it's, it's difficult to get an idea as to what a particular job entails. So I'll try and get some of that information as well. I'm going to try and um and ah less. I will also try to um, have the <laughs> conversations be a little bit more fluid. So even though I've taken some time to prepare questions, I understand that uh, the conversational nature of the interview could get disrupted by those uh, questions sometimes so i will try and be a bit more fluid but please get in contact please let me know what you think please let me know what i can be doing better and just get in touch you can find me at the you can find me on facebook you can find me on instagram all at the empowered podcast <music>